Hallelujah one more time. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Well, good morning, everybody. You can take your seats. My name is Alan. I'm one of your pastors here at Whitewater. And if you're new here in the building or online, or if you've been here for a thousand years, will you turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor? Let's do that again. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor? You looking good. Yeah. Now, 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 look to your other neighbor and say, neighbor? Pay attention to the pastor. You're being distracting. Uh, thank you for spending time with us this morning. Uh, and if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know that our conversations have all circled around the compassion of this incredible dude named Jesus Christ. We've talked about how he brings dead things back to life. We talked about uh, last week, Russ talked about how Jesus is the embodiment of humility. And today I want us to get deeper on this word we see on the big screen, compassion. What is up with Jesus and compassion? And I think it's really important because uh, this week, today, starts Holy Week. And um, it's Palm Sunday, and if you don't know, it's a huge week. It's right before Jesus' death and resurrection. It's kind of a huge deal for Christians. Uh, maybe not as big deal as the Reds opening day, but... Um, <laughs> that hit deep, sorry. Um, so I went to a private Catholic grade school and everything leading up to... Holy Week was always a huge deal for me as a kid. So my family went to St. Matthew's in Glendale Heights, Illinois. And I remember us spending a lot of time in church, like the whole week straight. Yo, we had mass almost every single day. The church had times of confession available 12 hours out of the day. And um, we had stations of the cross. We started talking about religion, uh, death in religion class. And I ain't gonna lie, it got dark for us nine-year-olds when we started learning about how brutal the crucifixion was. But looking back on it now, I know why we gathered so much. Because the church wanted us to understand the gravity of Jesus' sacrifice. Why did Jesus have to carry that 300-pound cross? Why did Jesus suffer through at least 39 lashes on his body? Why go through all that aggressive suffering for us? And I don't know about you, but personally for me, I needed a different answer than it was his mission. Because when I think about the word mission, it could seem so rigid. Like, I've seen all the Mission Impossible movies where Tom Cruise is just running, like with a black shirt on. Uh, he's dangling from buildings and riding motorcycles into helicopters. Like, but with all those big action scenes, it still isn't as impactful or as impossible as the mission of saving humanity from sin and death. Instead of watching Mission Impossible 1, 2, 3, and 4, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you tell me which mission was more impossible. Yeah. And look... It wasn't just a mission for Jesus. It wasn't something he had to do because he was told to. His action of obedience to God was out of his compassion for us. Compassion is in the very nature of God the Father, which means it's a fundamental characteristic of Jesus, his son, meaning for us, compassion isn't just in our capacity, it's in our DNA. But even the American English word compassion doesn't properly describe its divine encoding. So I want us to look at the different variations of compassion based in the Hebrew and the Greek, the OG languages of the Bible, so we can really get to the bottom of why. Why did Jesus choose to take the cup of suffering that was meant for you and me? It wasn't just because of God's instruction. It was because of his compassion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for allowing us to gather in this place, in this church. Father God, we love you so much. We do all of this for you. We worship you, Heavenly Father. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you deliver the word through me. In Jesus' name, amen. 
In Exodus 34, 5 through 6, it says, Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, and he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Have you all ever taken a personality test or gone into a job interview where they ask you, how would you describe yourself in one word? Some of us respond with, I'm hardworking, organized, diligent. Or use this one on your next one, results-oriented. But what about compassionate? That's not the typical first adjective someone would use to describe themselves, but God did. And if you're new here and you don't know God yet, then this is a fine, beautiful Christian way to characterize God. But listen, it's deeper than that. The Hebrew adjective used here is rahum, and the noun for it is rahamim. Now get this, both of these words are related to another Hebrew word, rahem, which means womb, like a mother's womb. So compassion in the Hebrew Bible is based around a person's literal core, and the word rahem is meant to portray a mother's nurturing, tender, and loving feelings for her vulnerable and innocent child. Somebody say, whoa. That's right. So rahum is a word that conveys intense emotions. Other translations even use the word deeply moved. There's a story in 1 Kings 3 about two mothers who gave birth around the same time as each other. One of the babies tragically die, and the mom whose baby is still actually alive wakes up in the morning to find that the baby next to her has not only passed away, but it isn't her baby. The other moms switch the babies. And so both women go to King Solomon and claim that the, the baby that's still alive is theirs. So as a test, in order to find out who the real mother is, Solomon says, cut the baby in half and give each mother one half of the child. And the real mom is immediately deeply moved and would rather that the other mom take her baby than to see her child die. Yo, that's how our Heavenly Father sees us. I want you to know that if you said recently that God doesn't care about you or that he doesn't see you or that he's given up on you, that is a complete lie. Every time you're crying in your car, he not only sees your tears, but he's deeply moved by them. Every time you're in physical pain, he not only sees you aching and groaning, but he's aching and groaning with you. Every time he sees the cuts on your wrists, he is burdened and worried for you. There are 8 billion people living on this planet. Parents, the way that you hurt for your kids when they're hurt, think of that pain and multiply it by 8 billion. That's how much God hurts for his kids. God has rahamim for us because he didn't just birth us, he created us. Ask any artist who's used their own bare hands to create a sculpture or a painting that they've spent hours pouring their heart and soul into when they see a single scratch on it or multiple scratches on it, or better yet, they see it broken in pieces, it is absolutely crushing. Fam, our world was never meant to be this way. God's original design was for this place to be a paradise. But because of sin and death, now we have impoverished countries political unrest, world hunger, sex trafficking, and school shootings. We are hurting, but God has never withheld his compassion. What's interesting is that even in the time that we're in, God has been experiencing his children suffer since the beginning. When Israel was oppressed and enslaved multiple times, whether it was their fault or not, he had compassion and rescued them. When they were hungry in the wilderness, he was merciful and fed them. 
And even right now, when we see so much darkness in the news and, and on social media, or even if we just look across the street, God has rahamim, a compassion that looks right into the face of the children he created and not only recognizes their pain, but creates a plan to do something about it. Can someone yell out what that plan was? Jesus. God said, I love my children too much to let them suffer like this. I'm going to rescue my people by entering into their suffering with them as a human. Jesus is the human embodiment of compassion. And he showed this throughout his whole ministry. And we're going to study it with this story in Matthew 9, 35 through 38. So if you've got your Bibles or your Bible apps, go ahead and pull those out right now. We're going to read it together. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Compassion should drive you to action. This scripture says that Jesus traveled and taught people that the kingdom of God was here, which really is good news because back then, the people of Israel were not only oppressed by the Roman government, but they were enslaved to religious law. The good news was that a king had come. It wasn't Elvis or Michael Jackson. This king had come to set the captives free and that hope was available in a person and that person was himself, Jesus of Nazareth. And I know I'm not the only one in this room who could use a little bit of hope and freedom today. Titus 2, 13, 14 says, While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from the wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. This kingdom Jesus preached about was a kingdom based on loving compassion for one another. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a world where all people cared about was each other's well-being, and and I'm not talking about anything political. I'm just saying, what if we actually comforted each other when we were mourning? What if we had humble attitudes in tough situations? What if we were always thinking about God's version of justice? What if we showed mercy and we worked towards peace, and what if we strived to have a pure heart? I don't know about you, but I kind of like the sound of that kingdom. The kind of life that Jesus taught and continues to teach frees people from thinking about themselves. The kingdom of God is based on unconditional compassion, which leads to liberation for our hearts. Jesus wants to give us freedom and healing. It says that Jesus healed every kind of disease and illness. Now, from my experience, disease and illness usually comes with some semblance of sorrow. No matter how strong you are or positive of a person you may be, illnesses that affect your quality of life or the life you have left leaves you with a vulnerability to sadness. Now, I had a strong Filipino grandmother, and when she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, in the six months when we found out until she passed, I only saw her cry like once. And it was while she was eating a bowl of something, like cereal or something, and tears were just like down her face, and she barely noticed. She said, I am I crying? She was awesome. And in my eyes, she was the strongest woman on the planet. But even she had her moments of sorrow. So when I think about Rehem and how Jesus has that same nature, I can't help but realize that as Jesus was healing the sick, he was probably also seeing the sorrow that came along with it. Psalms 56 verse 8 says, You keep track of all my sorrows. 
You have collected all my tears in a bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. How many know that a physician who not only has your medical records, but has the records of your heart is a pretty great physician? Jesus wants to heal you from the inside out. I want you to know that if you're hurting today emotionally, physically, mentally, or spiritually, Jesus is a doctor that heals all wounds. In fact, he didn't come to this world to call those who think they are righteous or healthy, but those who know they are sinners and need constant healing. Jesus heals up the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He restores our souls and guides us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Jesus is a pretty great physician. And the people in his day knew this. He was healing people pretty often, you know, left and right. And because of that, within his time doing ministry, Jesus usually had a crowd following him. So in our story, while Jesus was healing people, it says in verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, the word for compassion there is a little different than the Hebrew word we learned earlier. Here in Matthew's gospel, the word in Greek is spalagnizomai. The first part derives from spalagna, not to be confused with spaghettios or moana. It's spalagna, which means to be moved so deeply that you feel it in your gut, deep in the pit of your stomach. Jesus used this word in two of his famous parables, the prodigal son and the good Samaritan. And if you don't know the story of the Good Samaritan, it's about a Jewish dude who's been beaten, mugged, left on the side of the road. But a Jewish priest just happened to be walking along, so you would think that he would pick the dude up, right? Actually, the priest just kept on walking by. But there was a Jewish temple assistant that came along, too. This guy, for sure, would bring the dude to the temple and get him bandages up, right? Uh, actually, he didn't help either. It wasn't until the Samaritan, who was hated by Jews, sees the dude with Spalagna-type compassion and decides not only to help, but to give his resources, time, and attention to making sure the dude was healed. This is the type of compassion that Jesus lived in. This Spalagna that not only allows you to feel compassion for the people we have potential to love, but compassion for the people we know don't love us. Is this not one of the toughest teachings of Jesus? It's hard. It's hard enough not to linger in our thoughts about people we don't like. It's even harder when Jesus tells us to love them when they're hurting. It's easy to feel vengeful and to imagine ourselves giving these people an uh, I told you so or a Hulk smash. That is a wide gate to walk through. But there is a narrow path that leads to a better life, the kind that Jesus not only talked but walked. When we enter into the Easter season, It'll be easy for us to think about all the fun, pastel colors, Easter egg hunts with the fam, frolicking all the, uh, in the grass with a wicker basket, and peeps, gross, but I'm down. Don't get it twisted. I love celebrating Jesus' victory, partying for the resurrection, getting down to holy town. But I don't ever want to forget the part where Jesus suffered because it makes our celebration that much better. That's why I urge you to come to our Good Friday service April 7th at 6.30 p.m. We're going to reflect on the fact that Jesus had every right to hate the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law. They're the ones who campaigned for Jesus to be humiliated and murdered. Jesus had every right to hate the Roman government. They not only oppressed his people, but they invented a horrible torture method that not only totally tore his body apart into a bloody mess, but was meant to make him look weak and pitiful. Jesus, as the Son of God, had every right and authority to have an army of angels wipe out every single person who had ever done him wrong, but he didn't because he loves you too much.
Do we really understand the compassion of Christ? Because if we did, we would take seriously Jesus when he says, love your enemies, because I spoke them into existence. The same person you hate is the person that I died for. That is Spalagna. The same gut that Jesus was pierced on is the same gut that loved the person holding the spear. Real biblical compassion hurts. It is truly selfless, unrelenting, and sacrificial. Going into this holy week that we're in, we need to thank Jesus not just for his sacrifice, but for his compassion. Fam, in the moment of our story, Jesus feels this strongly about the crowd following him because it says, verse 36, they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I hope this isn't wrong to say, but man, I I feel like as a people, we just get confused sometimes. And I honestly don't blame anyone because this has been the case ever since the beginning. Like, I don't know why Eve wasn't more confused about a talking snake than God saying, don't eat the dang apple. Like, she did, and now we in this mess. And if you're new to following Jesus, I want you to know that talking snake or not, there is a real spiritual enemy out here trying to confuse God's people. Saying things like, everything you feel is true. Your identity is in what you do. Validation comes from people. Yo, the enemy has a lot of us chained up in those lies and has gotten us confused about our true calling here on earth. 1 Peter 5.8 says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, like Scar from the Lion King. And sometimes it isn't even that nefarious. Sometimes life is just confusing, right? You know, we question like, hey, where should I go to college? Does my wife really want me to pick where we're going to eat or is she just trying to test me? Walmart's got the best deals, but Target's got a cooler vibe. Where should we go? Sometimes we can't always trust our own decisions of where to go, who to be with, or how to handle situations. And even if we were totally sure about what to do and we fell flat on our faces, we need someone to pick us back up to try again. Galatians 5.16 says, So I say, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Jesus says we're like sheep. Sheep are susceptible to attack from coyotes and other predators, and they need a shepherd for protection. And most of the time, sheep are just confused, so they need a shepherd for guidance. Jesus looks over the crowd in the same way he looks over us right now, here in this room and online, with a deep, overwhelming compassion. He knows we need him, and I can only hope that we know we need him too. Jesus says in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. And he's the type of shepherd that leads with spalagna and cares with rahim. Isaiah 40, 11 says, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. When I was studying this the other day, uh, I thought about how Jesus probably just like pities us, you know, because we can be confused and helpless sometimes. But then I realized that no way. Someone wouldn't just give up their life for people just because he pitied them. There's a huge difference between empathy and compassion. Webster's Dictionary Online says, while empathy refers to an active sharing in the emotional experience of the other person, compassion adds to that emotional experience a desire to alleviate the person's distress. Empathy. Empathy is a beautiful thing. And it allows us to relate to each other. 
but compassion. Compassion is what drives you to help bring positive change to a person's reality. My question for us today is, have we really tapped into the deepest and most guttural part of our souls to access this God-given, Jesus-gifted type of compassion that lives inside you and me? When was the last time that you felt truly sorry for someone's situation and felt the need to be in it with them? In the hopes that one day you can help them transform their life in Jesus' name. The truth is that some of us, we don't work out our spalagna muscle enough. You know? And that's okay. Now you know that you've got this power inside of you to bring about real change in the world. And it ain't super strength. It's not the power to fly. It's not being able to leave buildings in a single bound. It's called compassion. It's just a muscle that some of us need to work out. But others of us are already huge in this. They're flexing their compassion all over the place. They've inherited this awesome and natural compassion power that can only be found in the Holy Spirit. And for those of you who have that, man, can you teach us? Can you help us be the good Samaritans in our communities? Can you help us see confused and helpless people through Jesus' glasses? Fam, I know so many of us in this room who are just gifted with being able to tangibly love people because they have compassion for them. And I hope that you know that that's a trait that your heavenly father passed down to you. And so now we need you to have compassion for us because we don't know, we don't want the world to be confused or helpless. We want them to know Jesus. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Somebody say, we could do this. Yes, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Biblical compassion can bring about peace in your homes, in your places of work, in your families, in your friend groups, in your towns, in your cities, in your neighborhoods, and into your societies. We need to get this, because Jesus didn't die for us just so we could forget how to love people. When I was a Catholic, I remember during Mass, the priest would say, peace be with you, and we'd respond with, and also with you. But I'm looking to change that to peace be with you. How are you actually doing and how can I help? This might be optimistic of me, but I'm imagining a world where Jesus followers are infecting their communities with so much spalagna that Christians don't have a reputation for bigotry. They have a reputation for activity. Man, those Christians next door just paid my rent because they knew I lost my job. Yo, some Christian just prayed over me out of nowhere because they saw I was crying. That Christian girl I work with, who I don't like, just told me I'm awesome with the customers. How did they know I needed that compliment? The world around us needs compassion of Christ more than ever. Can we agree on this? Jesus says in our story in verse 37, Matthew 9, 37, he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the fields. This passage is used a lot when it comes to making disciples, sending disciples, and planting more churches. But I want to talk about how I don't know we can do any of that if the workers don't have compassion for the harvest. Because if we just train people to do the work but not how to feel how others feel or relate to other people's experiences, then the work will just be that, work. And God's not just about the work. He's about the heart. I dare say if we can teach people how to have compassion for others, the disciple-making will just be an overflow of that love Because Jesus knew every disciple he chose before choosing them. And I believe that by knowing their stories, Jesus had compassion for them even as he was saying the words, follow me. I can guess that he had compassion for Matthew because Matthew was hated by his fellow Jews. Maybe he had compassion for Judas because he knew that the impact of Judas' betrayal would be. And I think he had compassion for Peter because he had a mother-in-law. 
But, but for real, this is what Jesus invites us into. After his resurrection, Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit to help spread this good news that people don't have to be confused or helpless anymore. You and I are carrying this meal of good news inside of a picnic basket of compassion. Our love for others will deliver the message of Jesus better than any preacher, YouTube video, TikTok, or even a Bible verse. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you and nothing else. John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus says, So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Fam, as we enter into this holy week, I just got to ask, man, how many of us right now feel like we need to be the recipients of compassion? You don't have to answer, but I have a feeling that probably all of us do. Life will never be devoid of pain, relational problems, temptations, agitations, emotional hurts, traumas, or physical worries. Our humanity craves compassion. And I understand even with all my encouragement about us having spalagna or rehem for each other, humans make mistakes. We fall short. We mess up and we're not perfect. Sometimes in certain seasons, we're the only ones who have compassion for ourselves. But in these seasons, please remember, you have a God of Rahamim who sees you, his child, crying. And he wants to hold you tight with both arms around your back, a warm embrace with his right hand rubbing your shoulder. He wants to whisper in your ear, I know. And he wants to remind you of his son, Jesus. He wants to show you how Jesus was also abused, beaten, laughed at, gossiped, betrayed, and persecuted. And as he hangs on the cross, Jesus wants to tell you, I know. Before I end, I want to share one more verse with you. So can we all please stand for the reading of God's word? Thank you. Colossians 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Right now, I'm going to give you 30 seconds to hug your neighbor with compassion. Father, we thank you for Spalagna. We thank you for Rahamim. We embrace your love for us. We give you our whole hearts. Help us have compassion for each other the way that you have compassion for us. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen.